Man, hey, thanks, brother. Thanks to Cities Church uh, for having me here. I appreciate it. You know, uh, I'm very thankful for this church because, you know, like Kyle said, I mean, you all are partnering with us. You're supporting us um, down in East Orlando, which is a tough context. And so, uh, you know, it, that is really helping us to stay afloat as a church because it takes a bit longer for us to get going down there in, in a heavily unchurched um, culture that we're in over there. And so, uh, much love to you all for that. And and uh, you know, this is a church that that I really love. I mean, I, this is I've actually had the, this is my second chance being here, first time. Uh, being here preaching, and this would be a church that I would consider to be my church home if I was living here in this city. So if you're a guest here today, I really want to encourage you to come on back. Man, I love this church, love the leadership, the teams, and all that great church, okay? Uh, now, one of the things, though, that I've also noticed about this church is just there's been a lot of excitement and growth early on as a church, which isn't really normal for a lot of church plants. You've experienced some tremendous growth and excitement here, and, and I don't want to see that stop. Like, I want to see that continue. I want to see it keep going uh, for, for years down the road. In fact, I, I want to talk with you tonight about, about something that Kyle had mentioned, that Pastor Kyle had mentioned um, several weeks ago last month in, in your Not Our Home series. In fact, you can start, um, turn your Bibles over to Mark 14 if you have your Bibles. We'll have the words on the screen for you as well. But, but here's what Kyle said. Right, he said this several This is what he said. He said, I want to see Two Cities Church still around 100 years from now. That's what he said. I want to see... Two Cities Church, still around 100 years from now. And for that to happen, we need to be a church that's committed to sharing Jesus with people. All right, that's what he said, and I want to I press a bit more into that, especially when it comes to being able to share our faith with people, share Jesus with people, the hope we have in Christ, in a post-Christian culture. And when I say post-Christian culture, what I mean is, is that, that Christianity has uh, moved to the margins of our culture. It's no longer at the center of our culture. It has moved to the margins of our culture. All right? So, so Christianity's moved to the margins of our culture. People have become more and more indifferent to Jesus in the United States. Now, this is a reality that I'm facing nearly every morning that I wake up in the city of Orlando. Orlando is such a hard place to, to plant a church. Most churches tend to die there uh, to the point to where they call it a church planting graveyard. All right, imagine trying to like, you know, recruit a team to plant a church there, right? You want to plant a church in a graveyard? I mean, it's tough. It's real hard. And so it's a reality that I'm facing, you know, the, the post-Christian, you know, the, the indifference to Jesus. I face it nearly every morning. Now, you all may not feel it to the same capacity that I do because you're in the Bible Belt, you know, Winston-Salem, but you are most likely feeling it to some capacity or at least you're sensing it because the indifference to Jesus is happening all across the United States. In fact, I want to give you um, some stats on it so, so you can hear this. Listen to what's, what's happening. Okay? The number of adults in the U.S. not attending a church has nearly doubled since 1991. The percentage of Americans who are actually attending a church is less than 17%. Less than 17% attending a church. There's over 85 million people in the U.S. who have no intentions in attending a church whatsoever, stepping foot into a church door. Right? So the number of people in the U.S. not attending church and having no interest in ever even stepping into a church has rapidly increased over the years, and it's not expecting to slow down either. Listen to this. Pew Research recently produced a study talking about the rise of the nuns, okay? Stands for no religious affiliation, N-O-N-E-S. And right now in our nation, the rise of the nuns, the nuns make up about 22.8% of our country, so nearly a quarter of our country, people are saying, no, no, I have no religious affiliation. LifeWay did a study reporting that 55,000 churches in the U.S. will close their doors in the next seven years. The number of people attending church in the U.S. is expected to drop from 17% to 14%. 
All right, last, last stat I'll get you, give, give you. Listen to this. Another st- study reported only 20% of the churches in the U.S. are currently growing, and only 1% are actually growing by reaching the unchurched. Only 1%. You know what that means? It means the majority of the church gr- growth that we're actually celebrating in the U.S., isn't true conversion growth. It's not new conversion. It's transfer growth. It's basically people transferring from one church to another, you know, transferring to, to whichever church has the, the funnier preacher, you know, the better skinny jean worship or serving the better macchiatos on a Sunday. Right? That's, what, that's what's happening. And so this is kind of our rea- reality. This is our current state in the U.S. at this point. You know, we are living in a post-Christian culture where Christianity has moved to the margins of our culture. More people are becoming indifferent to Jesus and and what little growth we're seeing isn't even really new conversion growth. But here's the good news. Right, this is the good news. Regardless of how marginalized we become, the gospel still has the power to save and transform people's lives in our cities today. All right, the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, regardless of how marginalized we get in the U.S., the, the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ still has the very power to save and to transform both people's lives, their marriages, their families, has the power to save, transform the very lives that are walking the streets of Winston-Salem right now and even the lives that are in this room. You are here today, you're here tonight, either because you know that's true or you're hoping it's true. See, I, I, before I became a Christian, I was an atheist, and so I know that, that some of you sitting here today, you know, maybe, maybe you're not a Christian, and, and you didn't just stumble in this room today, right? Like when I was an atheist and I came to church for the first time, I didn't stumble and be like, oh, how did I get here? I didn't realize I was in a church. No, you, you know that you're in church. You made a conscious, intentional decision to be here tonight. You, set your, you intentionally set your alarm to come, you intentionally got dressed, you in, intentionally walked through those doors today. You made a conscious, intentional decision to be here, and there's a reason you chose to come tonight. Perhaps the reason is because, you know, you're going through a hardship in life right now. Perhaps it's because you are, you're, you know, experiencing a joy void in your heart that nothing in this world has ever been able to satisfy. And your hope, your hope is that the church can help, or your hope is that maybe, maybe Jesus is real, maybe he, he can help. And, and the truth is, he can. All right, he can, Jesus can and still does save and transform people's lives today. Now, if you're a Christian in here, you already know that's true. You know it's true because Jesus has saved and transformed your life. And where I want to stretch you a bit and kind of press into you a bit is, is will you share that truth, the hope that you have in Jesus with the very people who are living in Winston-Salem, the people living in a post-Christian U.S. right now? All right, so that's where we're going to go with this, okay? If, um, the, the, uh, we'll be on Mark 14. We'll um, start off in verses 26 to, to 31. And um, uh, so that'll be kind of the, the, the beginning part. And we'll, we'll go to a, a, just a couple of other parts in Peter's life uh, in just a bit. But the title of today's message, for those of you taking notes, is Gentle Aggressors, okay? Gentle, I know, oxymoron, don't worry, it'll make sense to you towards the end, okay? Here's the big idea of the message. We need to be gentle aggressors in a post-Christian culture. You know, we need to share the hope that we have in Jesus in 
instead of hiding it. All right, that's the big idea. Give you a little bit of context here leading up to Mark 14. What we're dealing with are, are the events that are leading up to the, the death of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus. All right, that's what Mark 14 and is. And, and Peter and Jesus have been friends now for uh, about roughly three years. And so, so Peter's been, been walking with Jesus now. He's, he's seen Jesus, you know, teach, preach, heal, you know, cast out demons, you know, do, um, doing his walking on water, the miracles, calming of the storm, and so much more. So they become very close friends at this point in Mark 14, but in Mark 14, Peter hides. He hides. He hides his faith in Jesus. He hides his relationship with Jesus. And so what we're going to study are two parts in his, his life. We're going, to, we're going to study Peter's hiding and Peter's instructions. I'm going to break the message up into those two major sections, give you some principles and stuff like that towards the end, but it's Peter's hiding and Peter's instructions. Once he stops hiding, he gives some instructions to Christians in the church when it comes to sharing our faith. All right, so let's check it out. Here we go, Peter's hiding. Mark chapter 14, verse 26 says this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. All right, so Jesus is prepping his disciples' hearts here for, for when he dies. He's saying that, that when I die, you'll all fall away. And the Greek word there for fall away means to stumble. So he's saying that, you know, when I, when I die, you all are going to fall away. You're going you're gonna to stumble. Notice that, that he, he doesn't say some are going to fall away. He says all of the disciples will fall away. They're going to stumble in their faith when Jesus dies, and that includes Peter. All right, Peter's going to fall away. He's going to stumble in his faith when Jesus dies. But notice the hope in the text, too. Notice that Jesus says, he says, but I'll rise again. You see that in there? He says, but I'll, I'll rise again. So he said, all of you are going to fall away. All of you are going to stumble in the faith when I die, but I'm going to rise again. I'm going to see you again. I'm going to gather you together again, and I'm going to restore you again in Galilee. I'm going to restore you from your stumbling. He is prepping them for their stumbling and for the fact that he's not going to abandon them despite their stumbling. He's going to restore them again in Galilee. Now listen to Peter's commitment that he makes to Jesus. Verse 29, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Peter emphatically makes a commitment here to Jesus. And the Greek for emphatically means, you know, um, intensely or, you know, just uh, repeatedly. You know, a lot of scholars believe that, that he's not just saying this once or twice. He's actually saying this multiple times to Jesus. He's making this commitment to him multiple times, saying, you know, listen, if everybody, everybody else may fall away, notice his arrogance. It's like everybody else might fall away, but not me. I'm not going to deny you. Even if I have to die, Jesus, I will, not, I will not deny you. He's making a very strong commitment here to Jesus. But what we're going to see in just a bit is that he fails in that commitment. He falls. He stumbles away from the. He breaks his I'll never commitment that he makes to Jesus. And you know what? We do the same. We sometimes break our I'll never st statements, our I'll never commitments that we make to Jesus. We, we, even make our, we, we even break our I'll never commitments that we tend to make just to people in general. I mean, for example, right? So, you know, some of y'all said I'll never get a dog, right? But guess what? You got one. Might be making a mess right now at home, all right? Some of us said, you know, man, I, I'll never drive a minivan. Man, I saw some minivans outside tonight, 
I checked to make sure. You know, when I was coming to this trip, you know, beforehand, I had said, man, I will never drive a compact hybrid car. I'm just too tall. No offense to anybody having a hybrid. I'm just too tall. You know what happened? My executive pastor, for whatever reason, decided to book me a, a compact hybrid car for this trip. When I sit, I'm six foot three. My feet pretty much sit on the dashboard when I'm trying to drive that thing, right? But actually, the guy, uh, the guy at the counter fell bad for me. And so he's like, hey, man, he's like, bro, listen, you can, you know, you can drive a Camaro for $50 total if you want. And I'm going to get that. Up. <laughs> wow, bro, I could have driven a Camaro. <laughs> Camaro, compact hybrid, which would you take? Actually, he ended up upgrading me for free to a Kia. He felt so bad and gave it to me for free. So, hey, I'm good. But you know what? I'll never let my executive pastor book me another car rental again. <laughs> As I study the text, I sat back and I was thinking to myself, I mean, Jesus, what about the I'll never statements that I've made to you? Because, see, it's very easy sometimes for us to study the text and to remove ourselves from it as if we're not Peter, and how could Peter possibly deny Jesus? But the truth is, is even as a pastor, man, I find my moments where I'll say, I'll never, Jesus, I'll never do that. In fact, I'll give you a couple of examples of it. Man, whenever I try to preach to somebody, I want to preach to myself first. And so just kind of some of the things that I, I jotted down or I thought, you know, through my mind and just been pondering this past week or that, you know, here's some of the I'll never commitments that I've made to Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you can relate to some of it. I, I've said before, you know, Jesus, I will never doubt your provision for my life when I'm struggling financially. Jesus, I will, I will never doubt your, your presence or your goodness when I'm facing hardships and suffering in life. Here's one I struggle with often. Jesus, I will never throw another tantrum again when you don't answer my prayers the way I want to or when I want to. Jesus, I will never doubt your, your love and your forgiveness for me when I sin, and I will never do that sin again. But I did. I did. I've... I've done, like Peter, I've done all these things, and I've, I've broken my I'll never commitments that I've made to Jesus. Not everybody in this room has to. Everybody has had moments, stumbling moments, where they've broken their I'll never commitments that they've made either to people or even to Jesus. But the good news is, is that Jesus says, hey, Peter, I will restore you again, and he'll restore us again too. We say, I'll never, but Jesus says, I will. We say, I'll never, and we stumble in that, we break that, but he'll always be willing to restore those who call upon his name from their stumbling. Right? This is what he's going to do for Peter. But we're about to get into Peter's stumbling. Let's check it out, verse 66. Go ahead and skip down to there. At this point, Jesus has been arrested and and he's being persecuted. Hasn't gone to the cross just yet, but he's been arrested, he's being persecuted, and Peter sees this stuff going on, and listen to, to what happens to Peter, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it. He denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. 
And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Peter hides. He hides. He hides his relationship with Jesus. He hides his faith in Jesus. He breaks his I'll never commitment to Jesus and denies Jesus three times. He hides. He falls away. He stumbles and hides just like Peter predicted he would do. But Jesus also said that when he rises again, he would restore Peter's faith. And he does. We won't have time to get into it today, but in John chapter 21, you can go back and read it on your own. Actually, there was a great message preached on it here at this church online. You can listen to it. Uh, you know, it was preached a, a few weeks ago on John chapter 21. And in that moment in John chapter 21, Jesus rises from the dead and he ends up restoring Peter's faith, proving that Jesus really is a loving and gracious God who desires to save and to redeem and to restore and to transform those who call upon his name. All right, he, Jesus is a loving, gracious God who is still willing today to save, to redeem, to, to transform, and to restore the lives of those who cry out to him, just like Peter. He's willing to do that regardless of who you are, what you've done, or what post-Christian city you might be living in. He's willing to do that regardless of what I'll never statement you may have broken this morning. He's willing to save, redeem, and to restore anybody who cries out to him like Peter. Jesus saves and he restores and he redeems Peter's life. And it is that very grace that Peter experiences that causes him to stop hiding and to start sharing his faith in Jesus. Start sharing the hope that he has in Jesus. See, see Peter's hiding pre-resurrection, but he comes out of hiding post-resurrection and starts sharing his faith in Jesus. We learn that in Acts chapter 2, Peter starts publicly sharing his faith in Jesus and in a single day leads 3,000 people to Jesus. And then in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, you can actually turn there. That's the last place in Scripture we're going to turn. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, he gives us some instructions now post-resurrection after he stops hiding. He gives us some instructions when it comes to, to sharing our faith. Now, contextually, as he's writing 1 Peter chapter 3, as he's writing that, his cultural context has now become more hostile towards Christians, and they're starting to persecute Christians even more. So our context right now in the U.S. is more hardness of heart and indifference towards Jesus and towards Christianity, but his context has grown to become more hostile when he's writing this, but his instructions can apply to both contexts. Okay, so let's see what he says. Now we're getting into Peter's instructions part of the text. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so Peter, who at one point was hiding in fear of suffering, is now telling Christians, no, no hey, listen, step out and be willing to share your faith regardless of the suffering that you're going to face. 
He said, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, you're still going to be blessed. Why? Because Jesus has proven victorious over our suffering. He's proven victorious over the grave, and one day the empty tomb will be an empty tomb for us as well. So we can share our faith. We can stop hiding, step out, and to share our faith fearlessly because we know that Jesus is going to conquer whatever suffering it is we'll face in the life that is still yet to come. This is what Peter's saying. But notice that he also says that in our hearts, we should honor Christ the Lord as holy. I mean, this is, this is a heart issue. I mean, all of this, everything he says in 1 Peter 3 is a heart issue, including sharing our faith. Because see, what, you know, what, what, what we treasure in our hearts, when we honor Christ in our hearts, when we treasure Christ in our hearts, then we'll, we'll talk about Jesus. Because we will talk about the things that we treasure in our hearts. The things we treasure most in life, we'll talk about those things. For example, when, when, a, when a young woman ends up getting engaged, right, what does she do? I mean, she gets all excited over the ring, you know, she, she, she looks at the ring, she, she, she treasures the ring, she starts to, to show her ring off to everybody, tell everybody about, about the ring and how her fiance proposed to her and gave her the ring. Man, I do that with my brisket, with my barbecue, all right? I, I like barbecue, I'm a big barbecue fan. And so you know what? I treasure the barbecue, especially brisket. And if I eat myself a good piece of brisket, I'm telling everybody where to get it. I've told the early morning services, man, Pecan Lodge in Dallas, Texas. All right? Very good brisket. We will talk about the things that we treasure most in life. And if we treasure Jesus, then we'll talk about Jesus. We will see him as worthy of whatever suffering it is that we face. We'll stop hiding and we'll start sharing the great hope we have in Jesus. This is what Peter is saying for us. Again, verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The Greek word there for make a defense means also to give an answer. Well, what does he tell us we're to give an answer for? He doesn't say give an answer for the existence of God. doesn't say give an answer for the problem of evil. He says to give an answer for the hope that is in you. To give an answer for the hope that is in me, the hope that is in us. Meaning, this is something that every Christian can do because every Christian has hope. Like, it's not something that we just leave for a pastor to do, for myself to do. You know, we don't just leave that. A lot of times in today's generation, you know, in, in Christianity, you know, we, we, we've kind of almost taken the responsibility of sharing the gospel out of the hands of the people in the church, and we've kind of put it in the hands of the, of the pastors. No, no, this is, a, this is a responsibility for all Christians to do because all Christians have hope in Jesus. Now, when Peter says to make a defense, he's not saying that, you know, we should just sit back in our holy little Christian bubbles and, and wait for people to come to us to ask about the hope that we have. He's not saying that because that would go against Jesus' command to go. Jesus commanded us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, not to sit back and relax and wait for potential disciples to come to us. And he tells us to go. And so what Peter is saying here is he's saying, listen, don't sit back and wait for people to come to you. He's saying, go, engage the culture. In a sense, be an aggressor. Be an aggressor, engage the culture in such a way that causes them to want to ask about the hope that you have in Jesus, including in moments when you're suffering. That's what Peter's saying here, all right? He's telling us that we need to, in a sense, be the aggressor. But listen to what else he says. Last thing I'll share with you in in regards to, to 1 Peter 3. 
Again, verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen to this. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Meaning, it's not just about what you do. It's also about how you do it. See, this is where I get the phrase gentle aggressors from. He says we need to do this with gentleness and respect. There's two extremes we need to avoid when it comes to, to sharing our faith. See, see a, lot of, a lot of times, you know, um, here's the first one, right? You know, it's, that, it, it's trying to win an argument over winning the heart of the person because this is, this is sometimes what, what Christians will do, man. They, they focus so much on trying to win an argument that they forget to try and just win the heart of the person that's, that's there in front of them. Now listen, there's times when, yes, we are going to have to make a stance for certain things in our culture and our society, but I'm talking about the people who their heart and their desire is really to, to win an argument over winning the heart. You, you know, because I mean, you maybe have, have interacted with people like that before. Nothing draw people closer to the faith, pushes them away from the faith. They may be right in their answers and in their defense, but they're wrong in their conduct. We need to do this with gentleness and respect, Peter says. Now, the second extreme to avoid is to, to be so gentle and respectful with people that we never actually even share the gospel to begin with. We never share the hope we have in Jesus to begin with. You know, it's the whole preach the gospel, use words if necessary mindset. And that is a reactionary approach to, to the argumentative approach. But it's an extreme we need to avoid as well because you can't actually preach the gospel with your life. You can't because... You're a poor reflection of the gospel. I'm a poor reflection of the gospel. I have my stumbling moments where I am not being a good reflection of Jesus to the very people I'm trying to share the hope of Jesus in. You know, somebody calls me a hypocrite, I'm like, yeah, amen, and I'm sorry, you call me on a day when I'm stumbling. My life is not a good reflection of the gospel all the time. In fact, one of the things we say, we, we say in my church is, you know, we, we talk about it being a, a stumbling pursuit of holiness. Now, I have moments when I stumble, but Jesus picks me up again. He restores me and helps me to continue to progress be where, I, where I'm becoming more and more like Jesus as time goes on, but I'm not Jesus. Your life can be a good gospel primer, but it is not a good gospel proclamation. For it to be a true gospel proclamation, we have to use words because words are necessary, like Romans 10 says. But we need to do it with gentleness and with respect. So let me give you uh, three principles to help us live this out, okay? Three, three principles to really help us move from, from hiding and, and to start you know, sharing our, our hope that we have in Jesus with Winston-Salem in our post-Christian culture. Some of y'all might be already, already doing some of that, but, but you know, we always need to grow in that as, as well as myself. And so, so I'm gonna give you, give you three principles, okay? Here, here's number one, principle number one. Keep scattering instead of complaining. I keep, keep scattering seeds of the gospel in our culture instead of complaining about our culture. Some people may not, they, you know, they, all they want to do is just complain about, about our culture. But, but complaining about our culture doesn't help to spread the gospel in our culture. You know, a, a farmer yelling at his crops to grow doesn't make the crops grow, right? In order for the crops to grow, the, the farmer has to keep watering and scattering those seeds, scattering them and watering them if he wants to see them grow, if he wants to see a, a harvest from those crops. In the same way as Christians, we need to keep scattering and watering gospel seeds if we want to see the gospel spread in our cities, if we want to see a gospel harvest in our cities. But again, we need to do that with gentleness 
and respect. Principle number two, move from the margins to the marketplaces. We need to, to move from the margins to the marketplaces. Right? Take the gospel out from here and, and, and into the marketplaces. You know, we're, we are, again, living in a, in a time within American Christianity where, where people aren't, uh, most people in our cities, they, they don't have any intentions of stepping foot into the church. You know, they're, they're not going to be moved in the sense of, you know, let me, let me come for the, for the killer preaching, you know, man, the, the great skinny jean worship or, you know, uh, the, the edgy sermon series title, you know, friends with benefits or whatever, right? Yeah, let, let's, let's go, you know, hand out flyer out and invite. I mean, people in our society today, according to the stats, they have no desire or intention whatsoever to step foot into the church, which means we cannot expect them to come to us here in the church for the to, to hear the hope of the God. We have to go to them. We have to go to the people in our cities to share the hope in Jesus with them. And we should not neglect the Sunday gatherings because these gatherings are very important and there's still an opportunity for, for people to come to know Christ in here or to be saved and transformed by Jesus in here. So we keep inviting our friends to come, but we have to recognize the shift in the cultural setting and clim- climate in our, in our nation that that we need to really engage people in our cities. We need to be the gentle aggressors going to them and sharing the hope that we have in Jesus from, from here, the margins of this gathering, into the marketplaces of our cities. Right, the last principle, principle number three, is this. Love the few so we can love the many. It's one of uh, our codes at our church, City Awakening. You know, uh, by code, we mean, uh, we, we call it you know, our core values, plumb lines, whatever you want to call it. And, and we tell our church, man, let's love the few so we can love the many. A lot of times what people try to do is, man, or, or churches in general, we try, we try to love so many, so many people at one time that we don't ever really end up loving anybody well. And so we try to encourage our church to love a few so we can love the many. What we mean by that is love a few people in your life so well that they can't ignore the love of Jesus for their lives. And what we encourage them to do is, is this. I, we usually tell them, do what you love to do. Do it somewhere strategic and do it in a strategic way. All right, do what you love it to, do it somewhere strategic, do it in a strategic way, and, and, and here's how that kind of is playing out in my, in my life right now in this season of life that I'm in. Um, my boys, they, they um, love football, they play football, I like football, and so I'm like, well, you know what? I'll just coach their football teams. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna be on the practice field anyway, so I gotta spend time, so, so why not do something strategic, okay? You know, do what I love to do, coach football, I'm, I'm good with that. Do it somewhere strategic, not in a Christian league, in my holy Christian bubble, but in a non-Christian league, so I can, you know, interact with some non-Christians in, in the city, and then let me do it in a strategic way. Well, let me be the head coach of the team, because by being head coach of the team, I'll be able to care for more families, interact with, with more families, and you know what, since I've started doing that, we actually um, recently, as of this year, um, ended up leading a, a woman to Christ uh, on the practice field, baptizing her um, in our church. Her, her husband, who had developed a hardened heart towards Jesus, you know, uh, was a Christian, you know, younger in his life, and then just kind of had this hardness of heart towards Jesus, walked away from the church for a little while, and, and yet he's like, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll support you, you know, I'll help you, and in the sense of like, you know, yeah, I'll come with you to church and things like that and encourage you comes to church and his heart ends up getting cracked and he ends up, you know, turning back to Jesus and guys on fire for Jesus right now. We also have three coaches and their families now attending our church. One of the coaches, I actually bought him his first Bible ever, our first Bible ever. Another one of our coaches just recently, he was out and he was, uh, uh, he shared his faith with a homeless guy on the streets. 
I'm simply doing what I love to do. I'm doing it somewhere strategic, doing it in a strategic way. Who's your few? Who's your few? Who are the few people in your life that Jesus may be asking you to love in such a way that they can't ignore the love of Jesus for their lives? Man, step out of hiding. Love those people in such a way that they can't ignore the love of Jesus for lives and then look for opportunities to share, share the gospel with them to have a gospel proclamation in their life. Do it in a gentle way. Be a gentle aggressor for them. Man, it'll matter for those who, not all the seeds that you scatter are gonna take root, but many will, and it'll be worth it to the many that do. All right? Now, Peter, he may have started his life off in hiding, but his life didn't end that way. His life didn't end in hiding. See, see what we know historically about Peter is that his cultural climate started to increase, started to become even more hostile to the point to where they arrest Peter for his faith. And then they say this to Peter. They say, Peter, either deny Jesus or face suffering. Either you deny Jesus or you face suffering, you face execution, you face death by crucifixion. And you know what Peter said? He said, then crucify me. Then crucify me. Except crucify me upside down because I am not worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. And they did. They killed Peter. They crucified him upside down. What changed? What? We got to ask ourselves. Even if you're not a Christian, you got to ask yourself, what changed in Peter's heart? What transformed it? How did he go from hiding in fear of suffering to no longer hiding in fear to be willing to now die for his faith and actually dying for it? What changed? It was the grace of Jesus Christ. It was the, the saving, redeeming, restoring life-transforming grace of the risen Jesus Christ. And that grace is still available to us today and still saving and transforming people's lives even in our post-Christian culture that we're in right now. And so let's do this. Let's have the worship team come on up and uh, we'll get to the big idea. All right, this is the big idea of the message. Be a gentle aggressor in our post-Christian culture. Now, be a gentle aggressor in our, in our post-Christian culture. Don't hide your faith in Jesus. Instead, keep, keep sharing your faith in Jesus. Regardless of how marginalized we become, Jesus is still saving and transforming people's lives today. He's still saving and transforming people's lives. Anybody who's willing to, to, to call upon his name like Peter did, to cry out to, to Jesus like Peter did, to, to repent of their sins and believe in the good news of the gospel, to believe that Jesus is God who put on flesh and he came to live, to die, and to rise again for our sins. 
The question is, is will you receive that message for your life today and will you share it with the people who are yet to receive it? If you're not a Christian, you made a conscious, intentional decision to be here today because you hope that that is true. I'm telling you, it is true. It is, Peter's testimony tells us that it's true and there's numerous people in this room who, who know that that's true because they've experienced Jesus' saving, transforming grace for their lives. The question is, will you receive it and allow it to be that truth in your life as well? And will those of you who are Christians who know that that's true be willing to, to share it with the very people in our city? Will you be a gentle aggressor? I'll, I'll leave you with this last thing, okay? This last thing. In Luke 22... Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you. He says, Satan has demanded to have you, to sift you like wheat. But Jesus said this, he says, but I've prayed for you. He says, but I prayed for you. Satan's demanded to have you, but I've prayed for you. What's he praying for? He says, that your faith will not fail. That your faith won't fail. You know who else he's praying for? He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us by name, by anybody who calls upon his name. Two cities, that's fantastic news. That's good news, it's great news because it means although Satan demands to have you, Jesus is praying for you. Although Satan is saying, look at what they've done, Jesus is saying, look at what I've done. While Satan is saying, how could you ever possibly love them? Jesus is saying, I died because I love them. While Satan is saying, how could you ever forgive them for what they've done? Jesus is saying, I went to the cross and I died for them. And because I've done that for them, they're already forgiven. Two Cities Church, you are already forgiven because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for you on the cross, not because of who you are and what you've done or haven't done. And so although Satan demands to have you, he can't have you when Jesus has you. Amen? Listen, I'll keep going if we're not getting it. Satan cannot have you when Jesus has you. When Jesus is praying for you in your stumbling, that your faith will not fail. It didn't fail for Peter, and it won't fail for you, for anybody who calls upon his name, because Jesus is still saving, redeeming, restoring, transforming and praying for our faith to be eternally secure in him. Will you receive that message for your life today? And will you share that hope with the very people walking the streets in Winston-Salem? Let's pray. Jesus, you are, you are loving, you are gracious, you are kind, you know every heart that is in this room. You know every suffering. You know every fear, every doubt, every stumbling that has taken place. And you're not shocked by any of it. 
and you still went to the cross for Peter despite knowing that he would fall away, that he would stumble, that he would even deny you. You still went to the cross for him and you still went to the cross for us. God, I pray that, that the person in this room who does not know you, that they would recognize and realize that they are never too far away from your grace, that you went to the cross for them despite knowing what they have been through and what they will do, have done and what they will do. And the same is true for the Christian. Jesus, we love you, we thank you. Would you pour out your grace upon us in this room? and help give us the courage to share the great hope we have in Jesus, not just in Winston-Salem or in Orlando, but both locally and globally, so we can reach people and reach the world with your great grace. Jesus, it is in your beautiful and precious name that we pray. Amen.